Welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. I'm Robin Ayoub, your host. Join me for captivating conversations with industry leaders exploring localization, translation, and global communication. Ignite your curiosity as we expand your horizons through these conversations. So let's dive in together into the Localization Fireside Chat. Good afternoon and good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Localization Fireside Chat. My name is Robin Ayoub, and I'm the founder of, the, of this channel. I have with me today an impressive panel. We're going to be talking about a lot of good stuff in this week's conversation. I can't wait to dive into it. Um, I'm joined today by uh, various experts from various topics. The topic for the conversation today is economics and how does the localization and the learning uh, um, industry and variety of industries within the micro uh, within the macroeconomics of knowledge-based industries connect and interconnect together and what can we learn and benefit from each other as we explore this large topic and uh, with me today I have uh, I'll let the team introduce themselves but I named the first Maria Jose Alberto and uh, from Argentina Maria uh, Romina Gaia from Argentina as well I have Philippe Sejas coming to us live from Greece. We don't want to get jealous there, Philippe. We'll leave for that another conversation. And Bruno Herman, I think Bruno, you're in Germany. Am I correct? No, I'm in Belgium. You're in Belgium. Sorry about that. And I'm Robin Ayub coming to you live from the beautiful uh, Marbella, Spain. So team, if you don't mind, uh, let's start with introducing ourselves appropriately. Tell us a little bit about yourself. A uh, small bio, I guess. <laughs> we'll start with Maria. Hello. How are you? Well, my name is Maria Jose Alberto. I'm the CEO of ILS. I run a translation company since 2007. And I'm, as I said, I'm a translator myself. And for some reason, we are talking here about knowledge-based services because I didn't know about that when I started 20 years ago, more or less, or more, I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> but this, exactly this, this uh, economy that we are talking about right now it was something that didn't exist as such before. And, um, and well, and I met Romina working on some pro, uh, I mean, I'm part of, um, of an association of, association of language companies in Argentina. And we had the chance to introduce the topic to the government some years ago. And that's where I met Romina. She helped us a lot at that time. So, well, I'm also part of Women in Localization as a chapter manager for Argentina. So I'm really supportive of the translation and localization industry. And it's amazing all the people that I've managed to meet along these years because this is a global industry and that's something really beautiful. So I'm really happy to be here. Thank you, Robin, for the invitation. Thank you, Maria Jose. I appreciate it. Romina, you want to go next? Okay, thank you. First of all, thank you, Robin, for having me. I'm very glad to be here. Uh, my name is Romina Gasha. Uh, I'm an economist and I work as an independent consultant on trading knowledge-based services. I work for uh, international organizations, business chambers, uh, SMEs who want to go global. So uh, I really enjoy working in this industry. I really like it and I think there are many interesting opportunities. Thank you. Thank you, Romina. I appreciate it. Philippe? Hi, Robin. Thanks for having me on the show, first of all. My name is Philippe Sejalon. I'm the co-founder of the Engage Institute. We provide the exciting digital training to insurance companies and banks around the world. 
And uh, we love learning, we love training, and we understand technology and insurance very well. So that's how we decided to make basically the whole experience of onboarding in insurance companies a more exciting thing. That's what we did. Excellent. Bruno. Yes. Thanks, Robin, for having me as well. My name is Bruno Herman. I'm based in Brussels, Belgium. I've been in the content industry for 30 years this year. And so I started as, as a translator, as a linguist, uh, and then project manager. And then I joined the client side of the, kind of the content industry. So I worked for several multinationals in different industries, uh, technology, life science, uh, business intelligence. And right now I'm a consultant working on the one hand with executive leaders about you know, the right strategy for international content. And on the other hand, I'm also very hands-on, you know, creating and improving uh, content operations for several organizations in the private sector. So that's the sort of very practical side of my consultancy. Thanks. Excellent, Bruno. Thank you. And now let's dive into the conversation. I guess, you know, my first question goes to uh, Maria Jose. Uh, from your perspective, what drove and what were motivated you or from the thinking perspective to start thinking broadly uh, from localization, from translation to knowledge base? Uh, what, has, what was the impetus to drive that thinking, if you will? Well, actually, I didn't know what was knowledge-based services, as I said before. Before some work and before uh, this was introduced locally by government agencies in Argentina. But it's amazing how we are not just it's not just the translation and localization, localization sector. I mean, this encompasses so many other professions and so many other industries. And we are part of all that. And we realize that the translation and localization sector is a cross-industry. So, and when we realize of that, it's okay, we are working with all these other industries that are also uh, providing uh, knowledge-based services, services that require just internet and require knowledge and require skills and soft skills. And uh, it's not, I mean, heavy machinery here. So we started finding similarities with many other uh, industries like well, software, for example. Uh, and we, as, as an association, in the case of the Argentine Association of Language Companies, we got in touch with many other topics that we said, okay, this is not just translation. We are doing something and we're in between many other things here, like, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, for example, and, and how that impacts our services and impacts our industry as well. So this is bigger this is bigger. <laughs> this is huge. And now with the arrival of, of ChatGT and all that can add to our industry, we are also experiencing, as I said, something bigger than just translating. And we, are, we need to know and we need to be in touch and collaborate with different industries and different professionals from different backgrounds to complement our sector. So this became really, really interesting. And that's how I ended up proposing mm -hmm. you to talk about knowledge-based services because this is really, it's happening, it's happening fast. It's happening faster from the pandemics onwards and we need to work together. No, I appreciate that. That sounds very uh, interesting. And most industries, 
you, you hit on you hit a nail on the head as they brought as we broaden our thinking broaden our horizon we can start adding services we can start expanding our offering you know we're all in business to make money at the end of the day it's not a charity organization that you guys are running yet at some point you need to start thinking beyond what used to work a year ago and or two years ago or 10 years ago and now figure out what's the future hold now moving on to Philippe if you don't mind Philippe from a learning perspective I mean you you're immersed into this you've been doing this for many years so tell us a little bit about the e-learning from your point of view from your own from your own experience you know how big is the industry what has been successes for you what worked what doesn't work uh, how does the technology impact you nowadays with the advancement technology? I know Engage is at the forefront of technology. Uh, how, how has that been able to help you out? Yeah, well, thanks, Robin. Uh, first, I would like to add all to what you said before, the content creation, you know. An average, just a quick statistics from OpenAI, uh, an average library in the U.S. has about 79,000 books. OpenAI, about six months ago, ChatGPT would generate books per day. So that's about the magnitude of change we see. So basically, when you create now digital training, you want digital training about blockchain, about crypto, press a button, put a prompt, you get your training. You want to add videos, you can have a whole system that now creates this. So on your question of how is training being impacted, AI has brought an, is bringing an amazing shift for much more content. It can also increase quality. We have also seen the metaverse, 3D virtual worlds that can create a much more immersive experience. With AI, we can do what we call mass customization. We are all different. The way we learn is different. The way you learn, maybe you like reading, maybe I like watching videos, etc. So with mass customization, that is, we customize every single course to every single learner using your own personality set. That's exactly what we see now thanks to technology. So it's a very exciting time where technology is taking a, a, a front seat, but we should also remember that we are talking with humans. Uh, our goals are humans. So we overwhelm them we, with content. We can overwhelm, all of us are now overwhelmed with content. So we have to make sure that we keep storytelling in the loop, that we keep uh, to the core of the information and that we do a simple progression. So that's about the main challenges that uh, we've seen in, uh, in training. And we're far from being there. Like uh, last point there, when I ask uh, insurance companies who are our clients, what do you think about the state of training in the industry? They're very often saying it's not good enough. That's the feedback I got. And even from some of the best providers. So we all have to take to, to look at ourselves in a critical way here and saying, how do we make sure that there is an immersive learning, there is storytelling? And these are the challenges that we see uh, taking place right now. So just to follow up on this idea, because we're seeing the same thing in the localization, I guess uh, Bruno can jump in any minute here. We're seeing the same thing in localization industries as well. It's, I guess it's across all industries, the impact of AI. I think there's what, what I call that, that when you drop a, it's like when you drop a rock in the water, it makes that splash and it just calms down a little later. Everybody's getting on board now with AI, you know, the, the attractiveness of AI, that ease of use, the cheapness of it. You know, I can, within the click of a button, do whatever I need to do. But you're right. You bring up a very good point, Philippe, is that idea that we're delivering to humans at the end of the day. These are not machine learning machines, teaching machines, a human at the end of the day needs to be consuming this content or whatever we're creating. 
And we always talk in our industry about human in the middle. Are you guys seeing the same thing on your side as well? Human in the middle, meaning that, yeah, machine can help me out, but human needs to police all this. Bruno? Yeah, yeah sure. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the combination of human in the loop, as it's called, and technology is really key. But it's a big challenge because the balance has to be right. You know, uh, what is most automated, what is most human? So I think that one way to sort of address that challenge that I see in the industry, in the localization industry, is that a number of uh, suppliers, uh, LSPs as it's called, uh, are actually moving from language services to content services. And I think that's really key. Uh, it's really key, uh, not just for the localization industry, also for the content creation industry, for the content testing industry. Uh, because when you think about, you know, content from a client perspective, and this is where the money comes from, right? So clients that are looking for a solution that can help them solve business issues from a, a content supply chain perspective, not just localization, not just creation. They want to have a, a content supply chain that is as efficient and as effective as possible. And that's why, personally, when I'm working with a couple of LSPs right now, I'm helping them just to make that move or to make that transformation from language services, so very vertical in a way, to content services, which is much more horizontal, where you can actually, you know, as an LSP, as a supplier, you can offer more, to your point, Robin, you can create more value to clients. And I think, to be honest, there is... This is this move. This transformation is a challenge, and it's an it's it's a it's an opportunity. So let's start with the opportunity to be to be optimistic. The opportunity here with AI is that, you know, it's an opportunity for specifically the localization industry to be more embedded in content supply chains because they can really bring this human value, this human touch, if I can use that term, to content operations. Uh, because, of course, technology is everywhere. But as, I, as you said in the beginning, it's very key to actually, you know, keep human in the loop. But how to keep that in the loop? How to keep human in the loop? You know, you have different ways of doing that. So that's the opportunity to be more embedded and to be more celebrated, recognized by clients. The challenge is that it, this AI power transformation is really creating a number of changes in operations, and I will give you only one example, which is workflows. For decades, the content industry and the localization industry have been working uh, according to file transactions. You know, I send you files, you send me files back. So the whole supply chain was mostly based on file transactions between suppliers or within clients themselves. Now, with AI, files are no longer relevant. It's about data. It's about language data. You cannot feed, as I said in the past, you cannot feed AI with files. You need data to feed your, to train your AI engine. And that's where the operationals, the operational aspect is really changing a lot because instead of having or moving from uh, a workflow which is based on the transactional files, you know, now it's more based on data flows, language data flows. But the challenge is that, you know, you need to convert a number of files into data because otherwise you are not going to be able to use AI anyway. So that is from an operations perspective, it's a big, it's a big challenge technically, but also humanly, because of course, you know, in the past you had post editors, for instance, in the localization industry, those post editors might become now data annotators as an example. No, correct. You're absolutely correct. You bring up a very good point in terms of, and I love the idea that you used Bruno in terms of 
you know, take what we know as an industry and try to, you know, redirect it to other things in how we repurpose our, we redirect ourselves as an industry to move to another, provide other services or adapt to new environment. Because, you know, for many years, people say, you know, technology is going to be the end of the industry. Technology is going to, you know, kill everybody. And then and, and I'm talking about from an industry perspective, but that's not true. I mean, we all know that. And we have, people have reactionary uh, ways of expressing themselves every time there's a new technology coming online. But you bring up a very good point, and that's the reason for this conversation, is to cleverly work together, try to figure out how to take what we currently know and have in place, and re with a small amount of effort, retrain, re-equip, and redirect to other things. Uh, I had a conversation actually on this channel with uh, Michel Lopez from B2F. He's a CEO of B2F. He's you know, he bring up a very good ideas in terms of how he transferred his, co his company from the transactional thing, Bruno, you're mentioning, to more of a data-driven organization working on data versus a transactional. You send me file, I send you file. Those are the old ways. The new way now is all about data. How do we take data, consume it, and, you know, dissect it, try to make sense of it, build databases, and then repurpose that data and send it back to the customer. And that's what customers are, at the end of the day are looking for. Which brings me to another uh, conversation maybe we should start having is, Maria, Maria Jose, you've, you've dabbled with this idea for a while now. What has, did you introduce any transformation to ILS and what was the, what was the results of that? Can you talk a little bit about what you've done and sure. if, you've, uh, if you've noticed any, any positive or negative changes, mm -hmm. what's the learning? Well, first of all, I want to add to something you said before, that is that we, have, we should have these conversations with other people from other industries. Actually, the Argentine Association of Language Companies, last week we had an event where we had someone talking from, about AI, none from the localization industry, someone talking about blockchain and tokenization and crypto and all that, not from the localization industry. Because we learned that, well, we had other topics like internationalization, which is something that is really relevant in um, a topic brought by someone who is not from the industry. And that is something that we need to do, we need to do more often, I would say, because we need to complement uh, our knowledge. We need to, it's not just our knowledge about the industry, but how we can complement with other sectors which are really relevant to us. So we are on that path, and I think that we used to put that into practice more, more often, as I said. I should say that from my perspective in at ILS, we started implemented many years ago, of course, with post-editing of machine translation. We do this, we've done this for, I know, like more than a decade. So it's a new, it was a new service, it is a new service. There is some fight about that, if it is not, if, I mean, about translators who are willing to provide that service some others are not are like struggling with technology and something that we need to understand deeper and, and see how that benefits our jobs and, and our capacities but so i'm really used to talking about this thing that lately we've implemented that in sales which is something interesting we started working with this platform that allows us to move faster with leads, for example. Uh, and that is something really interesting because the time it takes, imagine this, the time it takes for you to, you know, to write an email, to think all every specific word. I mean, it's amazing how you reduce time. 
and you can customize that. It's not that, I mean, I totally agree with Philip about that and, and time management and Bruno uh, regarding human touch because we do both. I mean, it's not that uh, it's just AI. We need to customize things. It's not that it's for everyone is the same. So there is this human, we, we, don't, we need to remember that it's important this human to be in the middle. It's not just AI. But there are many things that are changing as jobs. And because this, I think it's revolutionizing the time it takes to do many things. And we saw that with post-editing. And this is mm -hmm. moving forward to many other sectors. So maybe AI is not something that's going to be implemented in every part of your company, but possibly there are sectors that you need to identify mm -hmm. in which it suits better and yeah. take advantage of that. And there are many people who are afraid. I remember being at Gala in Dublin last, in, it was, what was it, April? And there was this debate in, about ChatGPT, and it was like devil. It was like, uh, we're going to die. And, <laughs> and the thing is, eventually we will, definitely. But the point is that in the meantime, we need, first of all, we don't need to, we don't have to be scared of this. We need to take advantage of it. We need to benefit from it. And, and things change. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, as they always say, we're going to die like the dinosaurs. We need to move <laughs> forward and adapt. So I said, well, maybe I, I just I kept on talking besides your, your question, Robin. But in my opinion, we are trying. We are tr given to try. And we are, it's not that we are, mm -hmm. I'm, uh, we're trying to use it cautiously. Because mm -hmm. also, as, as you were saying before, I think it was Philip mentioning about the things that ChatGPT can do and it can mm -hmm. write how many books in a week, I don't know, or in a day. Uh, there are some restrictions coming on that. It's not that, for example, there are many areas in our sector that are not, do not allow, for example, to use machine translation or AI, like life sciences, I think it's life sciences and pharma. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there are restrictions because human touch there is mm -hmm. essential and I don't know. We're not. I, I'm not saying that uh, this is not going to happen. But at this point of uh, AI, um, well, there are some differences in in which type of content you can apply it or not. Uh, but well, it's part mm -hmm. of the of the. If I may react, on, if I may react, sir, Robin, if you don't mind, what I have to say on, on yeah, everything you said. Like I, I think you know, I like to believe. I, I love technology, and of course, I love humans too, and I think. It's not either or, but for me, it's always right. both. How often can you have, everybody can have their own expert all the time with them in the company. So our, in our company, our CTO, Patrice, always said, all our processes must include AI. And, but not to replace humans, but to make us much more powerful, much more impactful. And I like this way of thinking. It's really, we have to, in everything we do, we look at the support of AI and then, of course, the review of the, uh, the human. Mm -hmm. Here in Athens, I was talking to a big, someone who worked in a big company, in a call center, I would not mention. And they actually implemented AI in what I was very surprised. I talked to one of their employees and said, hey, it was in a, in a dinner. And he said, well, now AI tells me what I have to say and I just have to copy paste to the clients. And I said, but isn't that 
not the way it should be. And he said, well, that doesn't make my job fun. And we're like, for me, it was obvious. AI is your advisor and you have advice. Advice, mm-hmm. perfect. And then you as the expert, you decide on yeah. how to use it. So I think a lot of people are afraid because they haven't tried it or they have not, they think they're going to be replaced. But I think it just boosts all of us, our own performances yeah. in drastically. Absolutely. No, thanks for that point there, Philippe. Um, uh, really appreciate it. Now, one of the things that we're, as we contemplate what's going on and the, and the changes that's going on in both industries or in all of our industries, uh, one thing comes to mind is, and this question is for Romina, um, have you, from an, yeah, and I know you've been uh, a professor, you're still a lecturer in, in, I think you're still a lecturer, I don't know, you've done a lot of, uh, a lot of activities in that regard in a variety of colleges and universities, but has now, what do you see like the new generation of workers coming into the knowledge-based industry? How are they going to learn? What are they going to learn? What jobs are available to them? You know, we can't keep teaching them the old traditional way. I'm assuming things have to change. Am I correct? Or? Of course, things have to change. And the way we learn have to uh, also the way uh, in which we teach. And I, I come from a developing country, so I'm very concerned about the challenges because, you know, the, the skills needed in the new jobs are very different from those uh, of the old jobs. So you have to, there, there are challenges on two levels. First of all, you have to transform people who are already working. working. So we all have to develop new skills and you also have to, develop new skills, especially in terms of digital skills, but also in terms of creativity and many soft skills for those who are learning now. But we have, and I say we because uh, I'm talking from a developing country uh, perspective, we have very old education systems. Uh, Most children are now learning in the same way I used to learn when I was, I don't know, 10 years old. So we have to transform that. And we also have a, a huge problem in terms of um, STEM skills. Uh, and uh, education is, is very, and we have problems in terms of teaching that, especially for small children. I'm, I teach at the university level, so my students already have those problems. And it's very important to, to transform the way we, we teach and the way in which students learn so they can be prepared for, for the knowledge-based economy. Oh, great. And, and, and Bruno, from your perspective uh, now, when we talk about you know, the re, uh, how do I say, reorientating our industries and our thinking and the way we're looking at things. It doesn't matter which uh, industry we're talking about as long as we're in the content business. What do you think of um, the subject of uh, reskilling, retooling, repurposing uh, the existing workforce uh, to uh, be able to learn and cope with the new uh, developments? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's going to be a critical point for not just survival, but success, I would say. Uh, and, and before, you know, diving into my answer to your question, I would like to, my, my opinion, I would like to say that a number of people are a little bit skeptical or afraid of AI because of the words that are used. It's artificial intelligence. I think intelligence is a word that is very human. <laughs> so it's tied to human nature. And if you define artificial intelligence as the most sophisticated form of automation, it becomes something quite different. It's no longer about intelligence, it's about automation. 
And that's what AI is all about eventually. It's automation. Automation further, better, more. And that's really what I I would like to say about, you know, uh, the, the sort of feeling that some people have about AI. Now, yeah, uh, I think, you know, when I have to, in the past, when I was creating teams, you know, with automation technology at stake, I was always telling that, you know, to be able to do a good job, you have to make your work inclusive and value-driven. Inclusive, meaning that, you know, you don't have to specifically work in your bubble. You have to really collaborate with other people and collaborate with technology. And that's way, what AI is all about now, right now, because many people call AI my companion, my co-pilot. And I think that's really what it should be. It's a way also to make you know, your work more inclusive, not just by working with other people, by, but also by including technology in what you do. So that's the first thing. The second thing is value-driven. So, you, you know, Robin, you, you, you gave the title of this session about uh, including, I think, uh, knowledge-based economy. And I think that's really what, you know, people here, all of us here, we are doing in this in the content industry. We are, you know, creating information. We are using information. We are improving information. But essentially, this is all based on the value of knowledge. And, you know, in order to sort of change or, you know, make the change easier in terms of roles and responsibilities, it's really necessary to, you know, learn a lot to unlearn what you know what what is no longer useful now and to relearn also things that you know that were learned before but that needs some updates so i think that's you know what people in the content industry in general whether it's about creating content managing content or even project managers should really consider you know some you know relearn <laughs> unlearn and learn simply because yeah you might say Managing a project is managing a project, and there are some methodologies to do that. But with AI now, you have to in, you have to infuse, you have to incorporate more automation than ever before, and that means that obviously, as a project manager, you will still be a project manager, but you will also have to be using technology. You will have to work more closely with other roles, content creators, for instance, or data managers, data scientists. I love the fact that now, you know, I spent 15 years in my life in a data science company. And I always preached when I was there, I was not a data scientist, but I preached when I was leading digital globalization and localization, I was preaching for more collaboration between the content people and the data people, as I call that. And, you know, now I think the time has never been better to really create this synergy between, you know, uh, data scientists and content experts, because you mentioned before, Robin, data is going to be more important than ever, but also because I think that the combination of data scientists and content experts is going to be great. Uh, because on the one hand, you have, you know, the, the expertise of the language itself, you know, linguistic effectiveness, cultural effectiveness, functional effectiveness. On the, on the other hand, you have the expertise of data management. And if you bring those two profiles together, that's the ideal combination now to make uh, an AI power, an AI power, sorry, supply chain work. And, and then, you know, of course, everyone will have to acquire new skills. But I also believe that in addition to acquiring new skills, it's important to join forces specifically between content and data.
Correct. You're absolutely correct. And, you know, there's a term being tossed around. I'm not sure if it has made it to all of you yet. It's called datafication of content. We talk a lot about, we talk a lot about that one in, in my conversations. And, you know, it's funny because data, content is data. And now we're telling it, you know, we're going to data, you know, make, make it a little bit more data out of the content, right? So, you know, if somebody wants to, and, and you're right, that conversation between the content and the data people needs to happen quite often because here's an example, a software company, you know, develop a software or write a, a learning co- a courseware, and it's not based on um, a data principle. It's based on, you know, the initial thought. I, be- I build the software, so whatever. And at the end of that cycle, after I finish building the software, I want to make sure that this software runs in 20 languages, but the software itself is not built for that. So now you've got to go back to the architectural way of you built the software, how you built the software, and try to, you know, decomponentize the whole thing and put it back into one brick at a time to build, you know, allow it to build more languages. You know, if you build it from the ground up with the data in your mind, then you have a lot better way to deal with it. And I'm assuming, Philip, in your world, I mean, on your side, like when you develop a content for a learning purpose, first, you know, content has a shelf life, obviously. And, and depends on which content we're talking about. Could be a six-month shelf life, could be a, a year shelf life. But when you develop a content, you know, with the ever-changing environment, how do you ensure this content it stays flexible? Like with you know the technology changes and the human part of it, make sure that this custo- this custo- constant customization to the human, like and as you mentioned earlier, like does that impact you? And how do you stay agile within that development uh, cycle? I love your question, Robin. Basically, what we like, we like big overviews and modularity. So every element has to be modular. So you, t- you think, first of all, also from the beginning, multilingual aspects, modularity of content, where does it belong? So you have a, basically a big map of all different modules. And you can plug in and out the different modules. And I'll give you a simple example. For example, uh, as there are some, price, some products in insurance. Maybe one is very important, you know, our topic about climate change. So one of these modules might be interviews, expert interviews, exclusive interviews from specialists in the field. And that then you can plug this in or out if it's, for example, now it should be cyber, cyber security, for example. And what, but what is very, very important in training nowadays to keep people engaged is that it's really like nearly breaking news, you know, it shouldn't be something that you develop three, four years ago and that you keep serving all the time because new generations don't want this. It has to be engaging with storytelling. And with this modularity in mind, it's you're able to update some elements of it without having to reshape the whole course from the beginning. Oh, that's, so a good that's absolutely... Yeah, that's absolutely like you bring up a very good good point there, Philippe. The idea of modularity and com- you know making sure that you build things in components and you can move these components around, and and it's agile development, right? So you develop it once, you move, totally. you move it, you, you use it many times, and then when you need a component somewhere, you just take it and plug it in. It goes from the design, so the design thinking has to change, right? So am I correct by saying yes. that? Yes, totally, yeah, des- totally. <clears throat> And so if I may back, just jump back on, on what Bruno said before, He's, you, Bruno, you said several times learning, unlearn, relearn. And so we, you all mentioned learning a lot, but I would dare to be a bit provocative. Is that really the priority of companies? Because in the company I was mentioning earlier, the learning was two hours. Here is how we're going to implement ChatGPT. People had never heard about it. They arrive in two hours later, they had to use and copy paste from ChatGPT. Now that's one extreme example. 
But mm-hmm. I think we are really in a learning world where I think we all have to learn and evolve while the, the importance of learning really actually in companies, in my mind, it is not really as much in the, in the sea level. But that's, I, I, that's I right. agree. I agree with you. And, and to be honest, uh, to answer your question, it should be a priority, but it's not in many cases. Yep. And, you know, when I have to explain or justify why it should be a priority, it's a bit like other, other things to do, if I can put it like this, which is that, of course, it's an investment in time and money in the beginning, but it's going to save a lot of time and money afterwards. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the sort of, you know, I can, I can really use the, the analogy of the content supply chain. If you create content that is poor, not localizable, you might say it's going to be quick and dirty, and I pass it on the localization team, but the localization team will not be able to do anything good because the content will not be good enough, will be not ready for it to be localized. So on the one hand, you will save a lot of time in the creation phase, but you are, you are going to waste a lot of time and money in the localization phase because you won't be able to do anything. So training for me is the same thing. You need to invest indeed in training to make sure that people have the right tools and skills to do their job. And it, it takes money and time. But if you don't do that, you're going to waste, in many cases, many much more money, much more time later on. So I always prefer to invest upfront, upstream as it's called, and you know save time and money downstream. And I think that's, that's for me the value of training. It's not immediately valuable, but it's going to be valuable along the way. I think, I think Philip, what you're mentioning is a, a cultural shift. As, as, business, as business leaders around the world needs to start thinking from a training perspective, not necessarily a snapshot in time, like as you mentioned earlier, two hour on chat GPT and you should be an expert. It should become a culture where you're learning constantly as an employee of this organization. It doesn't matter what, it, what organization it is. You're constantly learning. You're encouraged to learning. I was on a, to learn. I was on a, an, an earlier podcast with another company. They invited me to speak about, you know, sales and sales training and sales learning. And, you know, one thing I'd say about training in general, if you don't enforce the training, if you don't really be, make it part of the culture of how you ask your staff and your employees to train and be, be involved in training, it's a wasted effort. You may as well throw the money on the road kind of thing, because if you're only going to do a snapshot of a training, people are not going to remember that. If you're not going to enforce it with behavioral and with a uh, uh, cultural shift in your organization, they're not going to, it doesn't matter what training are we talking about. Today, we're talking about AI. Tomorrow, it could be about any other level of corporate training in your world that Philippe ensures, ensures sales. You know, these things needs to be, needs to be really enforced by the, from the top down. In, in your and, and, world, is, and if I may, Robin, just, just quick, I, I love this topic. So, uh, and also, we speak a lot about enforcing it from the top. Yeah, that's basically the stick. But there is also the carrot, there is also your own envy to, to go and learn. And this is not fostered enough, I think, because people love to learn. Most people love learning. You just need to, 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 to present it in a way with the storytelling, with the right attitude in these learning modules that people say, I want to learn it instead of, oh, I must learn it. Yeah, because there's, you know, we talked about this before. I mean, even for me personally, like if you ask me to read on a personal level here, you know, here's a document, go read this one and learn about it. My attention span to that one is like really tiny. If you give me something that I'm more engaging, I'm, I'm working with or some sort of a game or whatever it is, I'm, you know, I'm more interactive with, with the content. 
uh, it's a lot better for me to learn it. And, you know, one thing, we keep going back to AI, one thing AI really did for me personally, and as most of you know, I'm a you know, coder by trade, like that's what I went to university for, but, you know, I haven't done this for 20, 30 years. Now, I can go to a chat GPT and I can say, hey, give me a code on this particular routine, and it spits it out, and now it's, ba- you know, it's back to me. That's the amazing. The information is coming back. Yeah, it's amazing. Maria, anything to add? Maria, was there anything to add on this? Yeah, I, I was actually thinking about education and what you were. I was paying a lot of attention to what you were saying, and I totally agree. And I think that there is something we are talking here about AI. We know what we are talking about, more or less. I mean, we are on the same knowledge-based cloud. However, I think there is a huge need to be able to transfer this to people who are not in our sectors and to people who may, I mean, today, we need to transfer that in a plain language. In my experience, the other day, I had this experience. I know nothing about, well, now I know a bit more, about uh, tokenization and And To me, that is something like beyond my possibilities. And I had this person in front of me uh, at the the event that we, I, I told you before that we had last week. And he was so clear and he put the information so easily in front of us all. And we said, okay, we can do this or we can use it for personal reasons, for, for our businesses and for everything. So we need to remember that there are many people who are not so savvy at all this AI stuff and that we need to uh, build and create the same possibilities for many other people. It's not just us that we know we can train ourselves in our in our teams because of the uh, of the industry we are here uh, talking about and there are many people who feel that this is like beyond their chances beyond their possibilities and there is this need i believe from from my point of view that we need to transfer that in a way that all of us can benefit from ai and from Correct. all these things that are great we are we, we should not be i mean we need to create this environment in a way that it is not scary for people so That's that right. they can embrace it and so that they can say okay i want to learn how to code or how to do this and that or maybe not coding but to understand it with no no fear i think that's right that's important absolutely and you know this brings back to a point that romina made about being a development developing country and in mm-hmm. a variety of parts mm-hmm. of the world i feel like ai is a great unifier meaning that it's making the opportunity available to anybody making the learning a lot yes. easier for everybody access to information. It is not restricted to any, you know, specific culture, specific demographic, specific country anymore. Anybody can learn. It's democratizing the internet, the, you know, the international knowledge base, if you will, across, across yes. variety of places. Do you agree, uh, Philippe and, and, and uh, Romina on, in this one? Mm, well, I don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think that there's a lot of opportunities for many people, but in developing countries, there are many people who are not in in position to benefit from that. There are in developing countries there are huge gaps in, in terms of digital skills and other skills between people from high income groups and low income groups, from some urban and versus rural areas, and even among companies between SMEs and large companies. Mm-hmm. So I think that we have 
a, a very big opportunity. But as as Maria Jose was saying before, we are we are like in a, in a so in some aspects, like in a bubble, but there are many people who need help to to be able to benefit from that. Uh, yeah. if, if you think of a person who lives in a rural area where they don't have internet access, they cannot benefit from that. Mm -hmm. so, what about um, your students? What about your students at university? I mean, you mentioned earlier you have students. Are they familiar with AI? Do they use it? So what's their experience? Yeah. Yes, I, I mentioned that there are... Uh, problems with basic education, but my students who are at the university and they study economics or some things, some similar careers, they are familiar with AI uh, and they will be able to benefit. But not all of those, all these people who don't, don't go to the university, for example, because... Yeah, no, I understand. I mean, that happens in every country. I mean, I, I'm from Canada and I can tell you, like, <laughs> we're our government is against oil and our, you know, our government is saying to the oil industry workers, you know, go learn to code Python. Like, you know, okay, so how do you take a person from the oil industry working in the construction of an oil field to start coding Python? That's a long transformation, if possible. That's, I think, I think it's, mm. it's an impossibility, but... Uh I would like to add, I'm not worried. I mean, I think that we, we can really benefit from that, but we have to make huge efforts to help other people uh, to benefit from that too. Oh, 100%, I agree. Uh, sorry, uh, we're coming up on an hour here, so it was you know, for me, I can talk about this topic for hours, to be honest, but I just uh, want to make sure that we're, um, we're staying within the time of, of, of uh, podcast, I will. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, just um, we'll go around and we'll just wrap it up. If you don't mind, uh, a few comments from each of you. Uh, start with Maria Jose on, you know, what do you what do you think of the conversation today? What you're hoping, you know, for the future, that kind of thing. Well, I loved being here. I really enjoyed the point of view of all of you, and I think this is uh, this is the way. I mean, we are people who have the chance to see this and to be living this AI era. And as such, I think that we have some kind of responsibility of transferring that to others and taking that to our companies and taking that to our environments. So I think that we are in a great moment in which we can combine artificial intelligence with human knowledge. And we have to embrace that. that that's, that's my point of view. So thank you, Robin. Thank you so much for the space, for the room, for, for, okay. for this conversation. I really enjoyed it. No, no problem. Thank you. Romina, anything on your side? Uh, thank you for having me. It was very nice to be here. I think this is a very important topic. Knowledge-based services offer huge opportunities for, for, for countries in general and firms in particular, and obviously for people. So we have to, to make sure that we can, we can benefit. And Romina, where, where are you located? Are you located in Cordoba or uh, Buenos Aires? No, in Buenos Aires. In Buenos Aires. Oh, Buenos Aires. And Maria Jose, you're in Cordoba, right? If I remember? No, Buenos Aires. You're Buenos Aires? Buenos Aires too, yeah. Ah, great. Two Buenos Aires ladies. Excellent. I can't yes. wait to visit one day. Uh, Philippe, <laughs> Philippe on your side, anything on your side? Oh, yeah. Well, thanks for a very uh, interesting discussion. And if I may express uh, a wish, I mean, it's more to our societies. I think a bit like the internet uh, 20, 30 years ago when it came, it brought, a, it, it was, it speeded up the globalization. I think we are uh, now experiencing at a much higher pace with AI and other disruptive technologies. 
a, chan, a change that our societies are not ready for as a, as a whole, as a, Maria Jose said. So it's, it's, um, it's our, our duty and it's also the politicians and all the people who can help to help all the others in society to embrace that, ch that change because it can be tremendous help, but it will imply a big redefinition, redefin a new definition of our jobs and how we do it, how we live, how we interact. And if we miss that one, or let's say, if we manage to do that one, I can see huge opportunities for societies. But if we do miss that one, I see big trouble. But, big risk. Yes, big risk. Yeah, yeah. So we have to, AI will help us, but let's make sure that we, we, we seize that opportunity. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you, Philippe. Bruno, any comments? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for this great conversation. Thanks for inviting me. It was really great to, to be part of it and, and to be able to share my, my opinion, my humble opinion. Uh, I think that, you know, uh, during this conversation, we all talk about challenges and opportunities. And that's really what this conversation about AI should be. I think there are many articles, views and thoughts about, you know, all the issues and challenges. So it makes a number of people quite scared about AI and automation in general. But it's, I would say it's the same every time there is a big change driven by technology or by human and technology. So it's not very surprising. We've seen that before with the internet. You know, the internet was going to kill a number of people. It never happened anyway. So I think that, <laughs> uh, fortunately for us, otherwise we wouldn't be here. But um, no, I would say that, you know, it, it's, it's really important to uh, you really, you know, focus on all the opportunities that that are going to come from you know the use of ai or the leverage of ai and i would say that there are two keywords that should be really important for everyone to keep in mind regarding ai but regarding you know what we do in general is to make it inclusive with other people and with technology and to make it to keep it value driven because as soon as you don't create value anymore this is when the trouble comes Thanks. That's right. That's right. Well, I want to thank you. Uh, thank our panel. Uh, Maria Jose, thank you for joining. Philippe, uh, Bruno, and Romina, thank you for this lovely conversation uh, today. I really appreciate you taking part of it. I hope uh, this has been beneficial to all of us here, and I hope you got something out of it. And I hope we continue this conversation because this is about dialogue. Uh, our knowledge industry is about exchanging knowledge, exchanging ideas. And I hope this helped a little bit in driving the idea that we should be talking to each other a lot more often. So thank you again for being part of this. And for my audience, thank you so much for joining me on this journey with our lovely panel today. I invite you to like, share the comment, uh, and comment on the content as you see uh, fit. And I hope to see you again in the next episode. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Localization Fireside Chat. Take the warmth of knowledge and renewed cultural passion with you. Keep exploring. Stay curious. And until next time, this is Robin Ayu. Keep those global conversations alive.